Kings chapter 3, verse 1. What I want to do tonight um, is we're, we're, we're not going to go back over our study last week, but where we left off last week, I, I want to just give you briefly some, some background in case maybe you weren't here last week or just a general re- review to catch everyone up. Since Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, he took Pharaoh's daughter, brought her into the city of David, until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord uh, and the wall around Jerusalem. Now, we discussed last week about um, just what that meant uh, about the house of David and the house of the Lord, that Solomon was living in the, the home of his, where his father had lived, um, the city that David had built, how that, uh, how that that had had um, uh, would would fur- would lead to Solomon building his own palace, and then Solomon's building escapades would uh, exceed more than just a palace. It would be multiple palaces, multiple homes, and then we talked about the fact that Solomon had married Pharaoh's daughter to form an alliance. That, according to the customs of the kings of the world of that day, and I guess technically still to this day. Um, via marriage alliances, uh, there would be uh, economic, military, um, various political gains that would come from that. Now, what I want to key in on here is that Solomon and David, Solomon and David, while one is the father and one is the son, Solomon and David have two very, very different philosophies in life. Very, very different philosophies in life. David was known as a man after God's own heart. That meant that he encapsulated what it meant to be one who knew the heart of God. Now, how did David come to know the heart of God? David was very well known for his sin, right? David's sin with Bathsheba. David, because of his sin with Bathsheba, is also known through various psalms as being a man that was quick to repent of his sin, to confess it, to ask God to take his sin away. And because of this, David is a man after God's own heart. Because of David's quickness to accept his sin, to admit his sin, David was, you never hear, ever, you never hear of David following after idols, do you? You never hear that. David's heart was always pure in the sense that he followed after the Lord. He he loved the Lord. There would be multiple opportunities and occasions for David to to take up idols. Uh, David could have have raised himself up in arrogance uh, when he defeated Goliath, when He could have killed Saul and taken the throne for himself. He could have fought back against Saul when Saul launched attacks against him. But David knew that were he to do any of those things, that he would have been practicing idolatry or he would have been trying to accomplish the things of God through human effort. Okay, this is key. For us today as a church, it is important for us to remember that we cannot accomplish the things of God or the plan of God through human means. Does God use humans to do his work? Well, of course. But we do the work that God leads us to do according to his will. We do not do things that they do at the White House or at the schoolhouse or wherever else at the workplace. We do not take worldly methods and means and try to accomplish spiritual things or or, or to uh, accomplish spiritual gains. Rather, we as human beings, mere mortals, are brought into this amazing work that God does 
where he takes the foolish things of this world and uses them to confound the wise, where he takes jars of clay, earthen vessels, and uses us to do things that we should not be able to do or could not be able to do, would not be able to do, were it not for the wisdom, the supernatural power, and the intervention of the Lord. David is a prime example of this. How does David start his life? The very first mention we have of David in the Bible is what? When we first hear of David, what do we hear about him? He's a shepherd. I heard that. Someone, he's a shepherd. Now, not only is he a shepherd, let's go deeper. How is he, how is he introduced? Samuel is looking for what? The next king. He's looking for a king. When he goes to the house of Jesse, because that's where God told him to go, right? God told Samuel, go to Jesse's house and you'll find a king. How many sons does Jesse have? <laughs> well, he has eight. David would be the eighth son of Jesse. When Samuel goes to anoint a king, he sees the first son and what does he say? Surely this is the one. Why did he say that? Because he was the firstborn. <laughs> what? Well, uh, he, he had the looks. He had the the. I'm gonna, I'm going to use a word that I'm not adding something to scripture. But he had the skill. All right. When 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 Samuel begins the process of going to anoint this king. What does Samuel use as the criteria to identify the next king? Think about it. He uses his eyes. Now, what does that mean, his eyes? The eyes are the window to the soul. Now, we're not going to have a lesson in... Uh, um, human anatomy here or, or the inner workings of the human body but you are a soul inside of a vehicle right a mud hut yes you are inside of a mud hut your eyes are not your soul they're just the windshield that the brain or that the soul looks out of. Your eyes see information that then goes to the brain, which is processed. And then the brain makes decisions. This computer inside your head makes decisions on what is, for instance, anybody here scared of spiders? What would you do if you saw a spider right underneath of your feet right now? What if you didn't see it? You would not know unless you saw it. But if you see it, then smell them. Okay, well, there, there's another se other senses, yeah. Um, I don't know if it's, I don't believe it's an old wives' tale because I've actually s smelled this before. But um, I was always told when, when we were, were weed-eating the culverts down in Murray, Kentucky. Down in Murray, you have uh, cottonmouths, copperheads, and rattlers. You have these little rattlesnakes called um, uh, timber, not timber rattlers, t pygmy, pygmy rattlers. They're a little about the size of a, oh, about the size of your pinky. Yeah, they're little bitty things, about a foot long if that. And they'll, they'll coil up and they'll rattle and they got fangs and they can get you. Um, anyhow, we were, I was always told if you smell, if you smell cucumbers, get out of the weeds. It's, it's copperheads. So uh, we were down there weeding one day, and the boys said, uh, were you serious about that cucumber thing? I said, well, now listen, that's what I was told. I don't know. They said, well, well we're smelling it. We don't mind to keep working, but it's, it's spooking us a little bit. So I said, well, that's fine. We can, we can call it a day, and we'll come back in the afternoon to finish up. But your senses, sight. Touch, smell, tell you things. They, they communicate with the brain. You ever thought about bats? You know, they're talking about bats. They see by, by what is it, sonar or whatever it is they use? 
You ever, you ever studied that, like how they, they, they send out signals and it comes back when you're in a submarine and it communicates, it bounce, sound bounces off things. You ever thought about that and thought, that is just so, it's just weird. That's crazy, it's weird. That is exactly what your eyes do with light. You look out and you see images and your brain processes those images and those images lead you to do, to do various things. Like for instance, if you saw a copperhead underneath of your feet, what would you do? You'd burn it down, burn it down. I'm out, I'm gone, I'm out of here. (laughs) But if you didn't know it was there, if you didn't see it, you would not be aware of it. But because you see it, you become aware of it. Now, I'm not saying that Samuel didn't have access to this theological knowledge because it was written in the New Testament. I'm telling you that Samuel has access to this knowledge. But in the New Testament, we are told that we walk by what? We walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. Faith, not sight. Why is this important? Walk by faith and not by sight. If there were one word that characterized the life of David, would it not be faith? Yes, it would be. When Samuel goes to anoint David, Samuel is using his eyes. And he looks at the first son of Jesse and he says, he checks off all of the boxes. What boxes does he check off? The boxes that satisfy the eyes. What does God say to Samuel as he prepares to pour the oil over that son? That ain't the one. He says, well, where's the next one? Brings out the second boy. At this point, Samuel says, well, hey, he'll work too. Doesn't make sense why we didn't just use the first one, right? Now, Samuel is a man of God, and as a man of God, he is going to listen to the voice of God. And the voice of God tells him a second time, "Uh uh-uh. And a third time, and a fourth time. Do you think Samuel got a little like, oh, what is going on here? Do you think he started to think to himself, did I miss something? Because I am halfway through the list of kids, and still God has said no. I know he said to go to the house of Jesse. Right? Goes through the seven sons. That's it. That's it. That's all that we're presented to him. Because he has to ask Jesse, do you have another son? Because none of these are the one. I mean, it's almost, it's almost implied that Jesse's like, oh, wait. Well, the reason it's implied is because of David's age. Most likely he's so young that he is not king material, Right? Not thought of as king material because of his age. Yeah, yeah. They said we won't. Samuel says we will not sit down and eat until we have until we get him here and we are able to find and anoint the king. So it's almost David is anointed king. At an age where it would be impossible for him to be king. Now, it's one thing if you're the son of a king and you're young. But when you come from just shepherds, there's no royal house for you to be raised. There's no guidance. Prince guiding, you know, there's, in the royal palace, there would be various advisors and folks to guide you along. But this is completely different. So the very beginning of David's kingdom is completely based off of faith. Because, what, is, what does the Bible say? Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. David was a man, not just a man of faith. David had to have faith because he knew that Samuel had anointed him king. Samuel had to have faith because he knew God told him to anoint David as king. 
But David had to have faith. How many times do you think he was mocked by his own brothers? David goes to the battlefield, and what do they say to him? They don't say, King David. What do they say? What are you doing here? You trying to steal our thunder? Are you going to become a warrior now, now that you're king? Now you're going to be a warrior too? I want to ask you a question. I want you to be honest with me tonight. We're going to have a little bit of a discussion here. When David went to the battlefield that day with his brothers, and they, they railed on him like they did, you remember David's response? Do you remember how the Bible records David responding to them? It says that David, when his brothers said to him, What are you doing here? Are you here to, to put on a show? You should be back home taking care of the sheep. Why are you here? And remember, David doesn't even respond to them. He asks the question of the whole camp. Why are you all sitting here instead of going and fighting? Honest question. His brothers are angry with him. They're mad at him. David doesn't respond to it. He further at, he finds out the information. Then he makes the declaration, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of God? And then David doesn't acknowledge the assistance of Saul. He says, No, I don't want your armor. I just came here to chew bubblegum and kill giants, and I ain't got no bubblegum left. And Saul says, well, then go and do what you do. And what does David do? David goes and does what David does. But how did David do what David did? The same way David does everything David does later on in his life. And the same reason why he was able to maintain, even from a young age, the faith that the Lord had called him to do this task. Regardless of the lack of preparation or the lack of whatever means others may have, Remember, Saul was head and shoulders above the rest. David's brothers were head and shoulders above him in terms of their maturity. But that was not what God was looking for. God was looking at the heart of David. So, when David hears what his brothers say, do you think he just, in one ear, out the other, he was just oblivious to it? Or do you think he heard everything they said but kept going anyway? Oh, yeah, I do too. He kept going. He kept going. When, throughout David's life, how many times would he have to hear the voice of the critic? All the time. <laughs> right out of the gate, he's got, he, he kills the giant, and now Saul can't stand him. Saul's jealous of him. But Saul made his own bed. He gives... Yes, Dave? I see, what you're, you're, I, I, see, I see what you mean. You're, you're saying that David wasn't afraid. He had a childlike faith. Yeah. If you're with me, I can't fail. Yes. What? Yes, it doesn't mean there's there's no timetable. No. Yeah. Well, and, and another another thing to keep in mind is Israel has not had a king before Saul. Remember, the people demanded a king, and God said, "Oh, I'm gonna give you a king." He told Moses, "When the when the people get in the land, they're gonna want a king like the rest of the nations around them." And I'm going to give them a king like the rest of the nations around them. 
And they got a king like the rest of the nations around them in Saul. And it was short-lived. Even it got in it, oh, almost through my iPad. And it's working tonight, and I'm throwing it for no reason. In God's infinite mercy, in his unbelievable grace, he shields Israel from the destruction that would come from a full term of Saul as king. Saul didn't care about the things of God, and he didn't care about the people of God. Saul didn't want to be king. He was hiding in the luggage. When they were trying to anoint him, he was running from it. He didn't want it. So, when God anoints David as king, he anoints a shepherd. To do what? Shepherd the people. There's a big difference between leadership and shepherding. A huge difference between leadership and shepherding. David, while he most certainly led the people, David was a shepherd leader. When David sins with Bathsheba, what analogy does Nathan use? Sheep. Why? Well, that was the first thing popped in his head. No, 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 no. David could relate. David, you're supposed to be the shepherd, man. You know the value of sheep. When David says, I was out in the field, to Goliath, I was out in the fields looking after my dad's sheep. And a lion came. Lions don't come in and go, boogity, boogity, and grab five or six sheep and take off. How do lions hunt? They stalk for what? The weakest of the pack. And they wait until the weakest is away from the rest of the pack. Because, I'm not saying sheep are, <laughs> the sheep are not going to pull out their gats and be like, and mowing down the lion when they see him trying to attack the other one. But if, if, a, if a bunch of sheep see a lion and two or three of them take off running, then the other sheep are going to be like, hey, what's going on, guys? And then they're liable to take off. So they wait until this one is isolated, away from everyone else, and then they attack. Then they pounce. Bears, same way. You just scared the living daylights out of me, I'm not going to lie. That's what I, exactly what I thought happened. I'm like, oh my gosh, they done got me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I try. Solo. Yes. Yes. And David, when David says this, when David says this to Goliath, when I face the lion, when I face the bear, he was referring to him putting his life on the line for one sheep. For one. That's why in the parables of Jesus it says he leaves the ninety and nine to do what? Go after the one. Listen to this. <laughs> Make sure you catch this one. When David says this to Goliath, what he is saying is, if I only fight you to protect one sheep, it's worth the risk on my life. But David was not just fighting for one sheep. What would have happened had David squared up against Goliath and lost? Their people would have served their people. They would have become the servants or in servitude to the Philistines. So David says, if I can fight a bear to take care of one sheep, I believe God will be with me as I take care of all of these sheep. In the case of David and Nathan, when Nathan comes to David and says, David, I uh, want to tell you a story. 
There was a man who had many sheep, and there was a man who only had one. The man who had one sheep raised it from the time it was a baby, coddled, nurtured, took care of it, loved it with all his heart. The one who had many sheep saw this one man's sheep and decides they want it. So they took it from the man. And it broke his heart. David says, or Nathan asked David, what should be done? What is David's response? Kill him. Kill him. Kill him. Now before you think this is just a king using his power and authority, what was that one man? I'm sorry, the man who had many sheep who saw the one sheep and took it, what was he considered? A predator, a lion, or a bear. Okay, let me not use that word. Pray. So David says, in essence... That man is a lion or a bear. Kill it. Kill it. What happens if you don't take care of a predator? Anybody ever had to deal with coyotes? Coyotes are cute. They're cute. Right? They're so cute. Ask Braden what he thinks of coyotes. How much damage can a coyote do? Mm-hmm. And they keep coming back. Now, if you're not, if you're not a, if you're not a country boy or a country girl, you might not understand why people shoot coyotes. Well, they're cuddly. They're cute. They just go ah until they get a hold of your livestock, and you lose five grand in one minute. You have to eliminate the predator. You've got to get rid of them. What does cancer do? That cancer cell, kill, it, it, it connects to the tissue, and then it begins to expand, and before you know it, it's, it's caused severe damage. And in some cases, irreversible damage. So what does David do? David says, that, that man is a lion or a bear. you got to take him out. How dare he single out that one little innocent... Get it? David has no idea. I'm not going to say that Nathan is brilliant. I'm not going to say that Nathan isn't brilliant. What I'm saying is that Nathan most certainly was a man of God who listened to the voice of God and God gave him the most incredible analogy he could have ever used. And I guarantee you've never thought about it this way. When he says this to David and he says, what should be done? David says, kill that predator. He singled out that one sheep and took it for himself. Woo! Now do you see why David beat his breast and wept and screamed and said, My bones have come undone. My joints have all been pulled apart because all of a sudden it hits him. What does Nathan say? You are the lion. You are the bear. Whoo, man. You think it's safe to say that hit David like a ton of bricks? David says, my whole life I have defended the sheep. What have I done? Oh, he would try to justify it by saying, that's just a Hittite. He's not even one of us, but he was one of them. So his legalism wouldn't hold up. David could have played the macho card. 
Well, it ain't my problem that she, you know. I mean, hey, it is what it is. If you got that certain something, what do you I mean? Hey, what's up, boys? If you can't keep your woman, ain't my fault. It's a dangerous precipice for David to be on, is it not? Here's my point. David knew that he could not use his eyes to lead the kingdom. He had to rely on the wisdom, the knowledge, and his love and understanding of who God is. In the case of Solomon, right out of the gate, what do we find out about Solomon? He's going to use his eyes. How does he... What is his first... I guess it, it, what would be his, his first... Um, international act as king. He's, he's going to try to make a, a league or a, 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 a marriage alliance with the king of, of Egypt. Solomon will go on to make many of these, like infinity of these leagues with other kings, taking their daughters. And what will it do? It will lead Solomon to do something that his father would never dream of doing. Idolatry. Solomon's life will be marked not by the faith of his father, but by idolatry. Idolatry. Where David followed after the heart of God, but sometimes his flesh got in the way. Solomon will lead according to his own heart, and sometimes God will get in the way. Solomon was one of the wisest of all men. But what we'll always remember him for is not his political prowess. Although the kingdom of Israel reached its zenith under Solomon, there was never a time that the kingdom was more wealthy, more powerful, or had more influence than under Solomon. It wasn't impoverished under David. David, he established the kingdom. Solomon would inherit it. But what happens between these two? David was a shepherd. Solomon was a creature of prey. And it'll play out. You'll see Solomon's wisdom, Solomon's wisdom is great. I mean, he's, he's, he's an incredibly gifted individual. The same can be said about... Some of the politicians we've had recently, could it not? Brilliant tacticians. Skilled. Right? Say the right things. Do the right things. Hard to argue with the GDP under some presidents, right? If those are the things that you mark success by. Well, look at our foreign relations under this president. Well, look at what this president did for law and order. Look at what this president did for yada, 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 yada. Were they a man after God's own heart? Were they leading according to the will and, and, and what God would say? Because how many of those men would be willing to wait as long as David did before they ever came to power? And then when they came to power, how many of them would be willing to endure the things that David endured? The many things that David endured. Yes, Dave? I do. I do. I, I do believe so because I know David had a copy, and we you've got to believe that, that he would have instructed Solomon to do so. But having a copy of the Bible and doing something with it are two different things. There are many people that can quote a Bible verse to you 
to try to assuage their guilt and their, their arrogance, but, or justify their arrogance. But <clears throat> that's the difference between Solomon and David. Solomon had the answers, but David had the heart. It's a big difference. Big difference. Because the right answer can be the wrong answer if it's given at the wrong time. And the wrong answer can be the right answer if it's given at the right time. Like, for instance, when Absalom raises himself up against David, David could have struck him down, but David did not do that. Right? It was the right thing to do. But what did it cost David? The kingdom. But what did David gain in the end? The kingdom. And he maintained his integrity. He didn't strike down his own son. He exhibited the mercy and the grace of God before the people. Solomon, he's got so many kids, he don't know where they're. He's, he's Genghis Khan of, of Israel. He has no idea how many children he has. Here's where I want to go tonight. Speaking of Solomon's issues, remember last week we talked about Solomon's uh, many wives. He said, now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh. Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, the Hittite women, from, nations, uh, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said of the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for they will surely turn your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. Whew. He had 700 wives who were princesses. That means daughters of kings. And 300 concubines. That is a lot. Wow. And his wives turned away his heart, for Solomon was old. When Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after their gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. Now we talked about the idea of having 700 wives and 300 concubines. And if you were here last week, we said the best way to describe that is dumb. That's dumb. That is just dumb. Dumb. So dumb. So dumb I can't even begin to conceptualize how dumb that is. And what is it called when you have more than one wife? Polygamy. Polygamy. That's the technical term. Poly meaning many. And gammy meaning grandma. No, that's a different. No, sorry, that's, somebody, that's not what it means. What does the Bible say about polygamy? Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. One flesh. The best way I've... One of the best analogies I heard recently about what marriage is... This guy said he used to work as a waiter at a restaurant. At the end of the night, he was a shift leader. At the end of the night, all the, he would go around to all the, all the tables and gather up all the, the condiments. And he would, they had a term they used. They would marry all the condiments. They'd take the mustards and the ketchup, and they would dump them all into one container until that container was full and set it off to the side. And then keep doing this process to get rid of the empty or the half full bottles, make all the bottles full and throw them away. He said, when we put those two bottles into one bottle, you'll never be able to go in and separate the two different separate, the two separate bottles of ketchup. They've now become what? One bottle of ketchup. That's marriage. That's marriage. Your heart is not divided. Your heart is united. It's two pieces. Two halves become one whole. That's what marriage is. In the case of Solomon, how is that possible? For him to have 700 wives. Anybody here want to share their husband or their wife with 700 other people? With, the, with Solomon or, or polygamy in general? Well, I would say probably with Cain. No, only, only had one wife. They were men and they were righteous in their generations, meaning they kept to the word of the Lord. They knew. They knew what God had said because Adam passed that on to his sons and on down the line. I can't tell you that. I, I, I actually, 
don't know how many wives that Cain had, but in spite of everything else we know about Cain, it would not be surprising to me if Cain had multiple wives. And if anyone has an answer for that, Yes, and he is the one who famously said that you can't touch me, right? You, you can't touch me. I am untouchable. Or was that Tubal Cain? That was Lamech. Yeah. And the wording there of him being untouchable, what he's saying is, I don't care what the, I don't care what the forefathers said, what the ancients said about marriage. I don't care what they said about life and you know, about righteousness. You can't, you can't do anything to me. And then... Somebody did something to them. The flood came. It's always been and always will be the, the plan of God for one man and one woman to come together and to form one flesh. Now that obviously does not mean that Brandon and Trinity become the same exact person. That's not the intention. There's a... There's a difference between the way men think and women think. There's a difference between the, the, the biology, the, the, the biological, the chemical makeup of men and women are different because God made them differently. It's more than just the physical attributes that separate us. We are completely different beings. But what happens when you take those two beings and put them together? We got bean soup in the crock pot, and in a few minutes I'm going to eat it. I can't wait. But when you take them beans and bacon and put them together, whoo, something happens. <laughs> something happens. Beans come from the ground, and bacon comes from the forbidden fruit. Pork, get it? Forbidden? Never mind. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a one of them Jesus jokes, man. Y'all got to be think, think fast. You're... When a man and a woman come together, they complement, they complete each other. They complete each other. In our society today, we have things a little backwards. And I know I sound like an old fuddy-dud when I say this. But when a man and a woman come together, their commitment to one another is lifelong because they have married. They've become one flesh. I will be frank for just a moment here. I, uh, the only children in the room are Braden, so we'll be okay. But I was listening to a, a cultural conversation take place, meaning a, uh, I was listening to a podcast. And I like to, sometimes I like to hear what's going on, just where the, where the temperature is, where the thermostat is. And I heard this group of people discussing, um, you know, promiscuity, sexuality today in our culture. They said that the more partners that women have, the more impossible it is for them to make a commitment to one person. Now, hear me out. They began to just get overly picky and like they find fault with everyone. Men, they don't mind the whole sleeping around thing. It's a conquest, whatever you want to call it. They said that the conversation took a little turn here. Just follow me. They, as they were discussing, you know, the promiscuity and exa people, people sleeping around and stuff, um, the hookup culture, whatever you want to call it, um, said that, I want, I want to get this just right the way they said it. They were, the point they were making, or the discussion, the, the point they got to was that if um, someone made the statement, well, what if, a man marries this woman, and he's not satisfied uh, sexually. 
And this other lady spoke up, and, or another man spoke up and said, well, if he and his wife are both virgins, how would they know any different? The point I'm making here is, regardless of where culture goes, God's truth never changes, right? It never changes. Now, David is not exactly the greatest example of purity when it comes to to wives and marriages. But Solomon was much different, much different. David was a man divided in the sense that he had more than one wife. Solomon was a man that was algebraed. He was, I mean, you're talking like nuclear physics trying to piece him back together. The more complicated that you try to make your life in order to try to fill these gaping holes that exist in your soul, you are not going to be able to find them through the means that this world dictates as the way to find it. Jesus made the statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So it doesn't matter what the world does. The way that the world does it is not the way... It's, this is not totalitarian authoritarianism. This is not some kind of strong-arm tool of the church to get people to comply and do what we want. At least I'm not that way. But what I'm saying is, Solomon tried it the way the world did it. And what are the famous words of Solomon? All things are vanity. They're empty. They're devoid of life. When David was on his deathbed, he still had purpose. And he still had passion. And he said to Solomon, make sure you do these certain things in order that your kingdom might be established, in order that the house of the Lord might be built. Solomon builds temple after temple, idol after idol, Home after home, building after building, conquest after conquest, and at the end of his life, he says it was all vanity. No constant. Mm. Why do we need, why does God give us boundaries? Because he's mean. Why does God give us boundaries? Because he loves us. And there is a lion. The devil goes about as a roaring lion, Peter says, seeking whom he may devour. And who is the one that he devours? The one that has been pulled away. No matter how much money Solomon had, no matter how much wealth, no matter how much power, no matter how much everything he had, He was prey. The enemy got him. Over and over again. Why is that? I know this is an overly, seems like an overly simplified statement to make. But there's no joy. Like the joy that a husband finds in his wife or a wife finds in their husband. You support one another. You compliment one another. You love one another. You... You lift one another up. You challenge one another. You confide. In, is that what you said? Confide? Hey, you confide in one another. You know they've always got your back. That's why the Bible teaches us that husbands, you don't think anything about yourself. You meet 100% of her needs. Well, who's going to meet my needs? Well, she will. Because she won't think about herself. She'll only think of you. And guess what? You both have 100% of your needs met. If Solomon had just trusted in the Lord, 100%, God would have met 100% of his needs. This is what David would tell us. If you will trust the Lord, he'll meet your needs. 
If you're not married, wait until God sends the right, the right man. Ladies, he'll send the right one. Men, he'll send the right lady. Wait, wait for God to send the right one. And, and then when you do meet that one, when that, they're introduced, love them and love them with all your heart and all your strength and all your soul. Love them with everything you have. Nurture that relationship. Love, love God. Love your, your spouse. And when you have children, if you have them, love them. Love your neighbor. Love the, your neighbor as yourself. It's not about having, getting, buying, purchasing, acquiring, or doing. It's all about being. Being with the Lord. Being with your spouse. Being with your children. Being present. Being available. Being selfless. Being so committed that you couldn't be pried away with a nuclear bomb. Connected. You cannot be undone. At the end of David's life, was David undone? Absolutely not. He was as intertwined with the Lord as he'd ever been. What happened to the life of Solomon? It's all vanity. You know what's sad? A lot of our children today feel like life is nothing but vanity. It's empty. Teenagers, 20-somethings, 30-somethings, 40-somethings, 963-somethings like Dave. It's empty, completely devoid. They have no idea, no idea. The further the world drives them away from the Lord, the darker it gets. But the brighter the world makes it. Maybe it's time for me to start wearing short ties and pulling my pants up real high. I don't know. But what we, but what, what we need is to hold fast to Jesus and become one flesh with Him and watch as everything changes.